In any case, you know this, uh, this, uh, you call yourself Lord of Thunder. God of Thunder. <laughs> I've never met this man in my life. He's my brother. Adopted. Is he any kind of a fighter? <laughs> you take this thing out of my neck and I'll show you. Oh, listen to that. He's threatening me. Hey, Sparkles, here's the deal. If you want to get back to Ass uh, Place, Asperg. As God. Any contender who defeats my champion, their freedom they shall win. Fine, then point me in the direction of whoever's ass I have to kick. That's what I call contender. Direction would be would be this way, Lord. Blood and Black Rock Podcast presents Thor Ragnarok. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColdSplitation.com and I'm joining my co-host Martin. How's it going? And uh, we're here to continue our legacy of doing superhero movies. For a second, I thought you were going to say, continue, remake a ween. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, we did that long enough. Uh, September through October was long enough for that uh, sequence of remake a ween. But... Really f- didn't feel that long, though. No, I know it didn't. Uh, we did a... Part of it was because... Like, unlike last year's Halloween festivities, where we did, like, the same movie, like, every single time, it's basically like watching the same movie as we did Saw 1 through 7 the entire time. Uh, This year, we actually, like, did a lot of different things, so it's not like it felt the same all the time. So, yeah, we're going from doing a pretty hard 180. Yep, yeah, yeah, for sure. We are moving on from, like, doing eight or nine different horror movies to, uh... Going into uh, superhero territory because November is apparently superhero month because we have two big releases for November for superheroes. Uh, Marvel has Thor Ragnarok, which is the the film that we're doing tonight. And then we also have the Justice League coming up mm, two weeks, I think. You want to check? Yeah, I think it's two weeks. I think it's um, November like 20... First or something like that. I, I, I'm drawing a blank now. I'm just looking it up right now. Um, it is November 17th for a, a wide release. So I got to say, that is terrible timing. Um, By the t- time Justice League gets out, I think Ragnarok still might like Justice League might win the day for opening week. Right. And then probably go back to Ragnarok. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to say. Ragnarok's well, probably still going to be around in theaters, lingering. Um, well, definitely. And with how big, big of a hit it's been. Yeah, I mean, because what are we at? We're today's when we're doing this. The eighth when this releases will be the ninth. So it's been it out is, for less than a week. Yeah, I mean, it's literally going to be next week that it comes out next Friday. So we're going to turn around. And we're going to do this all over again in the two weeks. So. That will be yeah. It's weird because that's going to be a fresh comparison, even though they're not like Comparable. the same at all. We're still going to have that thing where it's like, well, was Thor Ragnarok better or was Justice League better? I'd still say that'd be a hard comparison. I would, I would, if you'd have to, you'd have to throw back to like an Avengers film. Yeah, I agree. But which I have not seen either, so I have kind of uh, lacking on that department. But I, but I mean, in this sense, I I kind of feel bad for. WB. The same time I don't. 
really, you really couldn't think of a t- different time to release Justice League. Two weeks after a um, huge Marvel franchise, and then, which <laughs> and then about little less than a month later, the new Star Wars. Yeah. Disney's fucking, you know, they're ripping up the charts for sure. They they know what they're doing <laughs> on a production level. You um, couldn't think like maybe like maybe we should wait till January, like when nothing, you know, when what does January bring us, film wise? It's kind of a dead month. Yeah, it's le- leading to uh, you know Oscar season. I mean, I guess what they're hoping for, and for both of these movies, really for Thor Ragnarok and Justice League, is that you're running into Thanksgiving. And a lot of people surprisingly do go see movies over the Thanksgiving holiday. That makes sense now that you know fucking shopping on Thursday instead of Friday is a thing. Yeah, I mean, they, like it, it, it's a huge for especially you know for like people who don't they're not really into the whole like go see your family holiday. It's more like well, let's go do something as a family. Maybe it's if you don't have a big extended family or something like that. Why not go see or a the, movie that you wanted you know, to see? Too distant, like you know, far apart. To, you know, be yeah, to make to, the trek. to travel. Yeah, no. So it makes sense. I mean, people do go see movies. So I think what they're hoping for is that people will go out on Thanksgiving weekend and see you know Justice League, and and it could be a big, not just an opening day, which I'm mean, I'm sure they are imagining it's going to be a big opening for them that weekend. But then if you have Thanksgiving the next weekend, there's a bigger chance that they could do some damage at the box office there too. Now, I'm not saying, like, it's a crapshoot, though, when you release it so close to Thor Ragnarok, because what if people are like, no, over Thanksgiving weekend, I want to go see Thor Ragnarok instead. I didn't get a chance to see it when it came out. I'm going to go now. So it's they're they are taking a risk by putting it out at the same time and, and like, like hoping. I, and like I said, only like a couple of weeks after that, then you have the new Star Wars. Yeah. So it's literally like Disney's got you boxed in. With the, the way the production has been going for the, you know, the DC movies, like you might as well have just like pushed it back to January. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a marketing I'm not either. So maybe they have maybe they yeah. have Good numbers to indicate this would be a great time to release it. Yeah, well, you know, they've done such a great job when it comes to their previous films. <laughs> figuring, figuring out how and what to do with those franchises. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, but we're not here to talk about Justice League yet because that's for two weeks. We're here to talk about something else. What are we here to talk about? We got some news. Yeah, we do. Today, <laughs> uh, there was some big – well, I guess it's not B- big news. Wow, yeah. big news. Not, not big news. <laughs> But news itself um, that that's dropped it. that's per- been a long time coming. Pertinent to us. Yeah. Uh, we like to cover the new franchises, especially like the ones that are considered universes. Um, for one thing, because they're pretty popular. So people like to listen to those. Uh, so not, not everybody, I'm saying, likes to listen to an Obscure Jalo <laughs> uh, episode. Um, and then two, um, we did cover one of these films in the universe previously. And apparently, it turns out that will be the only one in the universe. Um, we're talking about the the uh, Universal Studios Dark Universe with all of the Universal monsters. Uh, we did the Mummy uh, coming on like I think it was like six months ago or something like that when it released. Mom, and April, May, yeah, something like that. 
And uh, apparently that's going to be the only one that's going to be it for the Dark Universe from the from the sound of things. They haven't really come out explicitly and said, yeah, the Dark Universe is dead. But it really sounds like everybody's moving on to bigger and better things. Um, the producers, they really seem to be moving on to different projects that are going to take up a lot of their time. And one of the biggest things that's I think is pretty funny that you read in all of the articles about this is that they have reported that Universal created this like big studio on set that has like it was designed for the Universal Dark Universe has like the monsters out front. It was like clearly designed with this in mind and now it's sitting vacant lights off empty. No one using it fucking waste of money to uh, on like a showboat that never came about. (laughs) It'll it'll, it'll ship it down to Florida for the. Yeah, for like Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights, they already have a cafe. You know, they'll throw it in there, like for with like TNA Impact down there, (laughs) Global Force Wrestling. Yeah, yeah, and they already have a cafe like that, so they don't they don't need maybe LA, maybe wherever that one Hollywood, the Universal Studios Hollywood that has it. I don't know. Oh, is there a Universal? Yeah, there is another one. Yeah, in California, but well, I mean. I'm saddened by this. When you texted when you when you texted me this because to be honest, I haven't seen anything about it yet. I haven't seen any news about. It. Mm-hmm. I'm saddened by it because the idea of the idea of the dark universe. It's a great idea. Yeah, I think it's take, fun. Take the mo- universal's most iconic monsters, and I, I am stealing something. Well, not stealing. Cause I'm going to be crediting it, but James Rolfe, you know, the angry video game nerd, pointed out. That you, the essentially the 1930s and 40s, the universal monsters are kind of the original, you know, continuity, like you know, pro, like the original universe. Yeah, like, yeah, idea. because they yeah. you had them like you know Abbott and Costello, meet yeah, up, and yeah, then and yeah. then like all the cross ups, you know, with like the monsters and stuff. So they it seems silly now, but it was pretty cool back then because you did have all those crossovers. Yeah, them meeting each other. You had, yeah, so you know, you so had, you they you had that you know, and so it's funny that like you know seventy years later they would be like, oh, you know, everyone else is doing that, so we should do it. Which again, I don't fault them for it's because it, it is a good idea. We you had you've been sitting on all those you know monsters for years. I haven't done anything with them, just for the fact that you know monster movies really don't and they they seem cartoonish now, but that doesn't mean they have to be the same. Um, the same characters that they were in those original films. They don't have exactly to be as... like it could use a, a modern up, you know, remake and retelling, and it leave like leaves a lot of great potential on seeing like a modern day like Dracula film or a modern day Frankenstein film, and how they can or Invisible Man, you know, like and what they could do with that. And it's the the idea like it's great, and they could have done so well with it. But they fucked the mummy up so bad. And not only that, what, again, what a weird choice for, like, the first film. The mummy is a weird choice, for sure. Weird that they would go with an another action Universal monster movie because they've already tried that previously with, like, Van Helsing. But that's, like, and... that's, been, that's been almost 15 years now. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, it didn't work the first time. What made you think that it would work again? It could work because the idea of Van Helsing could work. You could do, like, an action Van Helsing film. No, you, I... but Or, like, something I'd probably more like to see, a more grounded Van Helsing film. Like, one of the reasons why when it comes to the Hammer horror films... 
that I, I love, you know, the franchise is when Peter Cushing's portraying Van Helsing, it's, his portrayal is great, and it's, you know, more it's more theatrical, but it's also more grounded. Yeah. And so, you yeah, know, it, I, I, I could see that being done, to, like, if they did, like, a more grounded horror thriller film of, like, Van Helsing, that'd be good, because action films are kind of thing, like, we gotta make it action-y, so instead of doing The Mummy more as, like, a horror film, it's gonna be more like Brendan Fraser's Mummy, except it's gonna have none of the nostalgia and none of the quirkiness and campiness that made that movie, to our generation, a exciting, fun film to watch. Yeah, I think a better idea for the Universal Monsters films would have been to not go the over-the-top action route and and try to make it into a superhero film with Universal Monsters, because that's just not... Having yeah. Doctor Jekyll be, you yeah. know, it's that's not going to work on a fan level because most of them are not anticipating like seeing a superhero movie that just has Universal monsters in it. I would have liked to have seen them go a more like traditional horror route and see where that takes them. And there's still, I guess, there's still the opportunity if they want to revamp the Dark Universe and Reboot, try again. Reboot with a, Dark Universe 2.0. Dark Universe with an actual dark storyline. Rather than something more akin to like a superhero film, because for we were talking about this when we went to see Thor Ragnarok in theaters, I've got to say I'm starting to feel a little bit fatigued from seeing all these superhero movies. Um, I what I can't say that I was super excited to be at a movie screening a, yet another superhero film because, as you said, it feels like we just saw like Doctor Strange in theaters, and we did. It was a year ago, right? Which by the way, I looked up online the dates. November 3rd was the release date for Doctor Strange last year. November 4th, release date for Thor Ragnarok. Right, yeah. So, so it's like... I mean, they're right They're right in, in line with each other, but I just... I'm feeling fatigue with superhero films in general, and I think that that is like Dark Universe. It came way too late. I mean, at this you point... You missed the boat. Right, we're, we're on to like... We're coming toward... At least towards like the climax of superhero films, and possibly... Uh, like a shifting down from 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 having those like consistently like every six months we're gonna have a new one, or you know in some cases like three months we're gonna have a new one. Um, I think we're at a downturn there, and it's just not well. The returns feasible. don't returns don't show up, but I mean at least I am, and I look I like su- again we both like superhero films too. So and I would say I, yeah I mean and I have nothing against like. Marvel films, and as you'll see when we talk about Thor Ragnarok, nothing against Thor Ragnarok either in terms of, like, actually disliking those types of films. But I'm just in a that kind of feeling where it's like, you know, first of all, I know it's going to be a new, another two-hour affair in the theater. Yeah, it's never uh, on. It's never on. Right, you know what I mean? And then, and then you know, it's lengthy. It's time-consuming. Um no matter how easily they try to make it for, for audiences to like fit into the, the timeline and fit into like the events, there's still that continuity issue that comics have that you have to kind of be in that mindset. Like, Oh yeah, that's right. In Dr. Strange that happened in, uh, you know, in the age of Ultron, this happened. And you, you have to like have that mindset, even if they are making it like dumbed down rather than like comics where it's like, follow this or you fucking, or we don't want you reading. You know yeah. what I mean? So, but you still have that. And I think we're in a downswing here, even though, like you said, the, the returns are not showing that. I, I feel like it, it may eventually come to pass that it's like, okay, people are kind of getting sick of that. Well, as I was telling you too, I will, you know, at the theater, I'm a you know, big Star Wars fan. I don't want a Star Wars film every year. 
Like, like I'm excited. My excitement level for the Last Jedi, Episode Eight, is like very like. Eh. Well, it's like, I'm ha- I'm like, too like, like, like I'm happy. Like I'm happy. Like yeah, I get to see Mark Hamill. It's yeah. blue. Like it's gonna be cool. And and I because I finally watched the new trailer because I've been trying to stay away from that stuff because I want to go and bl- you know blank no, slate on mind. it. Yeah, and on it. But even still, it's like I don't want. I do not want this every. Especially if I notice it's be like J.J. Abrams, like make like I don't. I don't want well, it's it. Being, it's being like really pushed into your face because next year, Constant. it's going to be a Han Solo movie. I don't want a movie about Han Solo. I'm sorry, I love Han Solo. He's one of my favorite Star Wars characters. I I don't need it. The next I, one's Chewbacca. Chewbacca gets like it's just <laughs> especially after Rogue One, like. Yeah, I, I I didn't like care for Rogue One, but even still, like you know, at least at least when like the prequels were coming out, they were spaced out like three four years, so it was, you weren't getting hammered with them. Right, you were. It, there was a long yeah. gap between them, and that was that and was... after in the gap between Episode One and Episode Six. You know, it was so long. Of course, people. I mean, I didn't really get to feel it then because I was nine years old, and I didn't you know have like a deep love for Star Wars. Like, yeah, it's something you know we go see. You know, pod racing, yay! You know, yeah. But now, now it's like I don't want this. If this is going to be like the next like seven years, a Star Wars film every year, I'm like I might just probably tune out. Yeah, just because it's like it's, well, it's, yeah, it's getting it's getting to be too much again. Just just it's one of the charms of being a like a fan of the Bond films. It's like luckily they don't three, come out all three to six years yeah. is your wait period. Yeah. If I had to go, sit through a Bond film every year, I, I'm like sorry, Daniel, I can't do it. You're not getting my money, especially after Skyfall. And you, not Skyfall, because Sky, Skyfall is fucking amazing. After Spectre, and you squandered that brilliant opportunity with Christoph Waltz as, uh, as Blofeld. Yeah. That's the topic. <laughs> a different day, a different show. That's true. All right, let's take a break real quick. We'll come back. We'll talk about some beer. Then we'll go into uh, Thor Ragnarok in detail. So stay tuned. Do you like jokes? I love jokes. Do you like video games? <laughs> yeah, I love video games. Do you like geek culture and really cool awesome shit? Well, fuck yeah, I do. Do you like murder? What? Check out Game Over Game On. They're on podcast services around the globe. Wh- what did you say? Also, follow them on YouTube under The Go-Go Show. It says something about murder. Smash that motherfucking like button. No, it's definitely murder. You said murder. No, I didn't. And if you get lost, go to GameOverGameOn.com. It keeps the demons away. The fuck are you talking about? Hope to hear from you soon. You will not. You will not hear from me soon. I'm calling the police. No, you won't. All right, so uh, we've got a new beer on the show today, and it's actually a new beer that's uh, recently just released. Uh, Getting good reviews, too, surprisingly. Because it's from a... A beer brand we don't talk about on this show. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those uh, beers that has fallen out of late <laughs> thanks to the craft beer boom. Um, and it's also widely regarded as piss water in many, many different places. Um, we're obviously talking about Budweiser. <laughs> and, uh, Old Anheuser-Busch. I know they, if they wanted to use this as like a sponsor or something... They wouldn't like that opening phrase. Well, but we're you, actually going to say some good things about. Well, them you know today. what? If they were giving me money, I'd be going here saying "dilly dilly" drinking a Bud Light. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. If my character's not for sale. Dilly dilly. <laughs> uh, but Budweiser—they just released a new beer. It's called the 1933 
uh, prohibition, prohibition repeal Amber Lager. It's really like a mouthful of a phrase. I can't remember it all the time, but, um, it's a uh, it's a amber lager, six point one percent alcohol content, beer. which is high for a lager. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's high for a lager. It's high for Budweiser. They don't generally get like that unless you're drinking the Bud Platinum. The Bud Platinum, uh, which is that's what that's made for. Basically, do you want something at a cheap price with a high alcohol content? Drink I would this even Bud say I would even say Bud's cheap. Yeah, regular, that's true. Regular, regular Bud and Bud Light, it's like twelve ninety nine, thirteen ninety nine, twelve pack. Yeah, I think you can get better deals. That's why I think that's why people around here, people around here don't drink. You know, when because I worked, re, you know, the convenience stores around here for quite a while. I I know what the common man drinks around here. Yeah, it's not Budweiser. Yeah, I think there's you can one get... guy. There's one guy that would consistently come in. He'd buy Bud, and I'm not, I'm just talking about Bud Heavy. All right. If if we're talking about regular, like a regular, just not light beer, everyone bought Bush. Hmm. Everyone I mean, bought, you know, I mean, again, it's Anheuser Bush, but it's you know their lower quality beer. Everyone bought Bush, and then if it was light beer, then everyone around here drinks Bud Light. You know, I would have, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because when you go out to bars, sometimes I see a lot of people getting Bud Light out at bars, and to me, it's like, why? What is the point? What's the purpose of going to a bar and well, getting th- a bottle of Bud Light? I mean, to, well, to be fair. Because we're not in like college anymore, so like when we we don't really go out to the bars that often anymore. So when we go out to a bar, it's like yeah, usually like oh like let's see like what kind of different things they have. Right. We don't we don't often go like it was just last week we went to a fucking bar just to play pool. Yeah. And drink like Miller Lite. Yeah. So we, it's not something we do that often. No, but I see a lot of people getting Bud Light, and I always question it. But maybe. That's like their night out where they're like getting something schmancy, you know, rather than Bush. They're getting a Bud Light. I don't know. I'm not judging. I'm just seriously, honestly questioning it. Are you a person that goes out to get Bud Light at the bar? Please let me know why you do it. I don't understand it. It's not like it's something special. Well, would you would you order in college? I mean, Uh, we're not a college town at all. So that doesn't count. To be honest with you, when, when I was in college at college. Um, I would get the Berkshire Brewing Company beers, so, so craft so, beer. Um, in Oswego at Old City Hall, which, by the way, fun fact, I don't know if it's still true or not, but Oswego, uh, I think when I went there, had the most bars per capita. It's a town of like 20,000 people. It's got like 50 bars. It's pretty awesome, because when we were searching for a bar on Halloween night, there were none to be found that yeah, were open. Well, 9 o'clock on Halloween night, none to be found. Yeah, well, it's great. That's why we have a whole pub crawl, you know, Bridge Street Run at the end of the year. Yeah, to, I mean... So it, I, run all the bars on Bridge Street. I'm not asking for our town to have like 70 bars that are open 24-7, but seriously, well, so, just a few that are like nice and fancier that well, are open later than 8 o'clock at well, night. Well, it'd be two, because that's... Uh, Last call. Yeah, you know. I but know. anywho, but no, yeah. when, when I was in college, I mean, it'd be Miller Genuine Draft because there you could buy a mug for like six bucks. It's an eight ounce mug. And for 50 cents on Thursday nights, you can get your mug filled. So you'd go there on Thursday nights for mug night and what they filled you up with Miller Genuine Draft. And if I wasn't drinking that, is Labatt. Yeah. So not bad. Not bad choices, I would say. Those were the two things. That's why sometimes I have like a hankering for Genuine Draft. It's like, oh man, I want to relive the glory days. <laughs> but the uh, the 1933 uh, Prohibition Repeal beer is um, an amber lager that is surprisingly drinkable. Um, I wasn't expecting much when you said that you had it, and uh, 
that it was in a 12 pack for one thing i was like whoa yeah they got they do have it in six and 12 packs. i was like wow really taking a risk there with a 12 pack i mean because well it, the thing was price price was right. like 13 12.99 13.99 for the 12 cheaper to the go six big. pack was like 8.99 yeah, or something might, so i was like i'll go big and get yeah. the extra even if you don't like it that much i'll still try at it. least you can drink it yeah <laughs> but I, surprisingly this is a tasty beer it's well crafted um they said it's from one of their old recipes from back in the day like right after prohibition ended i can see that because it does have like it, it it's it's i would still say it's fairly simple you know it do, it's not like gonna wow anybody with the ingredients or anything like that it's very serious hops uh, roasted malts and it brings out sort of a caramely uh, taste to it but still um it's simple and yet good i would say that it's probably the best budweiser beer that i've ever had and that's including like bud light but regular bud heavy uh bud platinum and like some of the other like small time buds that came out that were like sort of their experimental versions black crown yeah, that, yeah black they, crown they, they still do black crown i don't know if they do it anymore but but that one i'm talking about what I would about say what, what did you compare it like better to like the shock top i mean it's not the same style but shock tops owned by them or Nat, the natty brand yeah yeah something something <laughs> that's a more along the lines of like pseudo craft beer you know what i mean like like almost hitting that area but not quite i would say that it's good and and i think that even people who like craft beer who are kind of turned off by um budweiser in general they'll like this this beer it's it's and it's getting good reviews from people who are like that who who really are uh, turned to craft beer rather than like big business beers in america and domestic beers they're liking it they're they're um they're enjoying like the way that budweiser has been able to Kind of get back to basics, I think. I, I, you're right. It definitely does have like a class, like like what I would imagine a beer from the 30s would taste. Yeah, I've well, got like, no experience like, with that. <laughs> I know, but like, I mean, but like, if I had to imagine a beer from like the early 20th century, it wouldn't taste like a Bud today. No, it wouldn't be or like a Miller a super light, light bubbly. It's right. still you'd still have elements of you know the malts and hop. Like would you would say, be able to taste in that lot, lo- even though it's a lager, you would still taste for, the malt and hops. Where if you drink thing, a Bud now, all you taste is like I taste rice, right, and water. For one thing, shit wasn't easy or cheap at that time, so you wouldn't want to filter out all of the ingredients that you're putting in, right? I mean, because that's basically what like why put are now. Why put the hops in if you're not gonna exactly taste. like because you're filtering most of that out and you're turning it basically into like a watery brine and that's that wasn't the case back then they would actually want to taste it they would want a alcohol percentage in there because that was the point right especially <laughs> after prohibition ending like let's... a lot of people weren't drinking beer and they're like mm, i'm savoring this one you <laughs> i had that time it wasn't like so yeah you can understand like they would want something a little bit more bulky something heavier and the amber lager is that it's it's heavier it's um it's a like cloudy, like cloudy or red on the red scale, reddish amber. Which I haven't, it. I haven't poured it out yet yeah. into a glass. When I go home, I will. But I was reading like on Beer Advocate, which is one of the reasons why I went with it. Because Beer Advocate, though I don't put much stock in the reviews, because they're the pitchfork of beer review. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. absolutely no, contrive. Yeah. Like people just. That's where we come with the fa- famous, uh, when we talked about before on here, Guinness's generous ale and guy dis- dissecting figs and plum and allspice from this wonderful beer that you can't be found at all. And how would anyone know what allspice just tastes like? I've <laughs> never gone my way to do that. But 
but people were say like it's getting really good reviews on there. So I was I was as I was reading them, I was seeing kind of what people were saying, and people were saying it's actually a really good amber lager. It's not that bad. Pour like it pours really good. It looks great in a glass. So you know, I was one of the reasons why I got it. I was in, I was going to get it eventually because I'm in, I was intrigued. So it was more of me like when I bought it. It was more of me like what I was getting. I'm like I want to know if. Anheuser Busch was paying these people to write these reviews online. Like, here's thirty bucks, you know, write a good review. Or if people actually thought it was pretty good, right. I agree. It's it actually it's a really good beer. One amber lagers aren't that really um, big of a style. Yeah, you get amber ales, you get red ales. The you only don't like really get an amber lager. Mainstream amber lagers, Yingling. Yeah, and you know that's and that's like pushing it and that's like when I, again when i was like in college like hey you know i like yingling because you know it tastes like a real beer because it's an amber lager but now like you know compared to others now it's like yeah know. but it's so it's kind of i would say like at least around here a unique style it's not done enough um you definitely get the taste of the malts in it, it ha- the it's very malty, very caramely. It's, yeah, it's because of that toasted malt yeah. nature that's in there. And also, you still get a nice hot bitterness to it. Not like oh, it's not again not overwhelming. Like you're drinking a pale ale or an IPA, but you do get like at the end of it a nice hot, you know, the hot presence, the bitterness to it. And it's really clean and crisp. Um, as you point out, the only thing I'd say that kind of is a detraction from it is, does, is that it does have like a tinny taste to it, a li- slight tinny taste yeah, to it's, it. Yeah, it's like tinny, metally. Um, I think it has to do with the the roasted malts that give it that caramely taste to it. it that sometimes when they're roasted a bit too much, they kind of will come off as sort of metally, and I think that's what where that comes from it's it's just got that little extra Rust, metal rusty yeah r- yeah sort of like you licked like a like a nickel or something like that yeah um it's not as bad as like the heineken can right no it's not it's not as bad as what it sounds like but it it there is something there it's a very like somewhat metally taste at the end so that's the only down point to that which you know but other other than that i think it's pretty good um i think it's good too if you're looking for something with a higher alcohol content it's um at six point one percent. It's it's pretty big. So you know it's it's uh man, that's what she said. <laughs> it's a it's a good um. I think it's good all around. I think if you're you know, and it's it's pretty good for the winter too. So I think they released it. It's at a good. good time. It's a it's a good uh, fall and winter. Yeah, beer. I think they released it at the right time, honestly. And and it comes in stubby bottles. And not only that, at least here in uh, Vermont and. I believe yeah, in New Hampshire, it comes with a rebate coupon to save five dollars on a ham or a turkey. Yeah, to be honest, wow, with you, that's what a, a it's what a, a what a gr- like it's a great thought. <laughs> it's a great thought, but I have to say that that's a lot of work for that rebate to give only five dollars off a fucking turkey or ham. You got to mail it in. See, that's going to cost you a stamp on its own. It takes a while to fill that thing out cuz it's pretty lengthy. Gotta you have to mail like it in, UPC you have to, code, you have to like, wait like probably a week to hear back that they received it and then you get your rebate. I mean, that's a lot of work to get a $5 off a ham or a turkey, but I guess if you're if you're like really itching for a ham and you're like, well, 
You know, that's kind of ridiculous. We don't need a ham. Well, you can mail in this rebate and get five. Well, Christmas off. is coming. Yeah, get your Christmas hams. is coming. Yeah. Oh. Give them for give them for Christmas presents. Oh, I forgot. I think your family's a turkey family, aren't they? Um We did lasagna for Christmas. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I remember that was a great debate because it blew my mind when I found out people eat turkey for Christmas. I'm like, why? You just yeah. had it for Thanksgiving. We, we used to do ham, so no. My well, that's does a good ham. question because I can't. I think we did actually used to do turkey because we we would do turkey Thanksgiving, turkey for Christmas, and ham for New Year's. So I don't know. Our yeah. family is always ham for Christmas. Yeah, I I don't know. It's yeah, you're right. My, it's my mind was no. my mind was always ham or duck. You you've you've had duck. For? My family no, but ducks is a thing. I pick yeah, it, ducks I, a thing. Like I, pe- you, I pick it at work. A Christmas the, the carols time, the, about duck. The, the only the, the only time we're. Uh, Pick, you know, shipping out at, from the distribution center duck is around Thanksgiving and uh, I mean, Christmas time. That's kind of surprising because I I feel like duck's not really considered – it used to be, but I don't really feel like it's considered much of a delicacy at this point. It's like, delicious though. I mean, it's, it's, but it's greasy though. It's so – but it's good. It's like – it's turkey, but it's the, like it's just dark meat. It's I, delicious. I feel like it's not as considered as like – High end as turkey. Would well, be, because but, people, know. well, people are are philistines, and they're like, I want the white meat turkey. It's like, well, you know, you eat that bland, mm. you eat the bland white meat. I'll eat all the dark meat no, and I, be happy. Yeah, I prefer dark meat as well. Actually, now well, that I've got, had it, it's got the fatty fat in it, and it's and it's tastier. Yeah, it's tasty. That's where that's why. But all right, we gotta head into Thor Ragnarok because I think we're gonna have. Quite a bit to say. Normally, our superhero episodes run long, anyways, for whatever reason. Maybe because every fucking superhero movie is over two hours, well, so know, there's a lot to talk about. Who knows when Infinity War comes out? Maybe they'll make it four hours long, and it'll be like you know Lawrence of Arabia or like Cleopatra is going to have like an overture and an intermission, you know, halfway yeah. through to like. Well, I will say that um, we went out to see Thor Ragnarok on Monday night, and you know everybody who listens to us, you know that our. Our town is very small. We have a small locally run theater. It's not like an AMC or anything like that. So we did go out to see it. And there was only two other people in our theater. I And I fully expected – we went to the late show too at late at – I mean 8 o'clock. I fully expected there to be more people than that for Even sure. For like the 7 o'clock show, there probably wasn't a lot because the right. parking lot was pretty empty. And it was pretty surprising though. But – that's not to say that Thor is not doing well in other places because our area is a little bit different. But I was surprised that there were not very many people there. So in some ways, that does cloud your experience of a film because I do sometimes get off on like seeing how other people – not get off. But I, I like seeing how other people react to the film. <laughs> I, so. I, think, I think a crowded theater would do a much better um... – Service for this film, as, yeah, we'll, as we'll talk about. Yeah, I think so. But I just wanted to bring up that our theater was pretty empty. Um, and uh, we, it was, I kind of was surprised by it. But, um, I mean, like, I said, like, I, like as I said before, I haven't really gone to a movie off the top of my head that I can remember being really packed. Like, Star Wars Episode Three, I can remember being like fucking packed when I saw it. The most packed movie theater that I can think of off the top of my head. Saw two. That's the that's the last time that I went to a theater and was like, "Oh, there's a lot of people here." Saw two. So that's a long time ago. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, so Thor Ragnarok. 
I want to start off by saying that neither Martin or, or I have seen the other Thor movies or Age of Ultron, so we're already at a disadvantage there. However, we are a good reference point for those who don't really know the Marvel Universe very well because we have now seen Captain America Civil War and Thor Ragnarok without really knowing the previous films in the series. So and well, and as I at least with like I said to you, at least with Civil War, I knew everything that was going on because I knew like the the actual storyline behind Civil yeah, War. And, and not only that, like it's it, that's pretty easy to follow. Right? Yeah, exactly. But I think we're a good reference point because we can say, "Hey, we watched Thor Ragnarok. We haven't seen the other Thors, and we could still follow along." You know what I mean? So you, you kind of have that idea We're, of, like, how good is it as a standalone Do you film? really want to listen to a podcast of people who've seen every fucking MCU film and dissected and, it? And they're knowledgeable about things? <laughs> I wasn't saying that. I was saying, <laughs> saying like, that they can, like, dissect, like, like, in scene 30, you know, in this second, yeah, there's, no. a, there's a cameo of... The, there are you know, other podcasts to listen to for that. <laughs> we are we are not that. <laughs> We're going to be have a much more lenient approach to the film in terms of like how it relates to the comics or how it relates to the rest of the MCU. Um, that's not really our, our goal in reviewing Thor Ragnarok more, more so that we just want to talk about it as a standalone film in, in this Marvel universe. Like how does it do as a film? And we're DC fans. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, story wise, uh, Thor Ragnarok, Really picks up right after the Age of Ultron and Thor 2 in terms of, like, the conflict. And so I think that what happens within the first moments of Thor Ragnarok as a storyline is a lot of, like, catching up exposition-wise in terms of, like, we need to catch some of the audience up to where we are now. And we have to kind of figure out, like, where we are in the, the canon before we really get into the, the main event. However, I feel like we are dropped really quickly into Thor Ragnarok's central conflict. And, and for some people, it might not even feel like we're in that conflict before it actually like blossoms and hits you full force that, hey, this is happening. Like We're, we're going to throw you into this and run with it as the rising action takes place. How did you feel about like this the opening scenario where we we kind of are already in like a first of all Thor's already like in medias res we we he's already in an action scene basically he's captured um and we've kind of moved right from Thor 2 into the new conflict in Thor Ragnarok what, what do you think about that um i mean I, the opening exposition i was like fine with like so I, I, I haven't – like I said, I haven't seen the previous Thors. I haven't seen Age of Ultron. So why Thor's captured in like some prison cell on some you know different dimension or you know plane in the universe? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. And then you get to you know see the demon god of uh, – Yeah, Surtur. Surtur, voiced by the impeccable Clancy Brown. Did not know that, but I did. I right off the recognized it. Oh, because he's got the you know a pretty distinct voice. So he does, but I I wasn't really. I guess I wasn't even thinking about it. Ah, uh, no. You like you, the first time you hear Tom was like, "That's Clancy coming off of Freddy." <laughs> yeah, but no. I mean, I was fine with it. My problem was, especially the opening scene, was like the comedic aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um. 
the whole as he's captured and he's they're they're expositing what Ragnarok is and in for those who don't know in just general Norse myth uh, North Norse mythology Ragnarok's the Norse version of Armageddon the destruction of, of the of Asgard yeah. um and in this it involves Surtur this you know, demon god. It's like a almost like a devilish demon god, fiery s- skull yeah. horns, uh, the he's, whole yeah. nine yards. Yeah, he's been trapped. You know, trapped where he is by Odin, and when Odin dies, it, you know, if he, he's able to bring his hel- helmet to the great, uh, n- never dying flame, he'll be uh, rise as tall as a mountain and be you know destroy Asgard. And as he, you know, it's being exposited, it's fine. You have this, like, Thor still chained up and he's swinging around. He's like, oh, hold on. Hold on. You gotta swing back around. Which you're supposed to laugh at. Like, ha ha, you know, he's fu- it's funny. And I didn't find it funny, though. It's cause, one, because it's like, it, it's. They didn't cater right to your comedy. You didn't. No, find it it's, funny. Not, it's not that that comedy doesn't. Style doesn't work with for me. It's like, one, it's like. Okay, this is something Paul Rudd should be doing. Do you, I mean I know Chris Chris Hemsworth is also not a bad comedic actor. Yeah, actually, as, 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 as we talked, I know as we talked about in Ghostbusters, he's one of the best parts about it. He's pretty, you know, pretty funny in it. Um, but I mean, just in the context of that scene, like that doesn't, you know, doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, I know he's supposed to be showing off, like, oh, he's cocky because he's the god of thunder. You know, he's not. He's not threatened and fearful of the situation that he's in, you know, being threatened by this, you know, demigod. I mean, even though Thor is technically, you know, a god, he's not threatened by him and, you know, doesn't feel afraid. But I mean, at the same time, it's like, oh, you know, I think it's I think it's unnecessary. I think the reason that part that whole part's done is the fact that like it's setting up like this is isn't going to be like the previous Thor films. It's going to be, you know, a lighthearted romp. Giving Chris Hemsworth a little bit more of a chance to show off make, his comedic side, make and, Thor have more of a character instead and, of just and, being I'm I have a hammer and, and more likable and stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think that like maybe they do go like Waika, um, <laughs> Waika, Taika Waititi, uh, kind of goes a little overboard sometimes on the comedy aspect of the film. Um, Really, you know, stretching it out a bit. He's he is known for like some of his his comedy works, also like some of his his horror stuff from his previous direction. Um, but I think it may go a little bit overboard in terms of like how much comedy it brings to the film. But in the in the intro, my biggest um, I think my biggest concern going into the film from the introduction it, was that. It never really feels like the central conflict starts. It always feels well, like not, we're that, in that, one. Well, it's not even that. That's not even the central conflict, right? No, because that, that doesn't be get brought on up until the very end. So, no, but I think I think like my my bigger concern. And I guess we can kind of work through this as we talk about it. Is that um, oh, and and just a FYI, if you're listening and you don't really know our podcast, spoilers alert. Uh, spoilers are going to be strewn throughout this, so just just keep that in mind as we as we move forward. Well, that should be a given. It should too. be a given, sure. But I'll, I'll I'll throw it out there anyway. I think as we move through Thor Ragnarok, um, there's never really a starting point for a conflict. It's never like 
in in other movies it becomes clear like you have a even expository moment meet the characters figure out who's who what's what's going on maybe just define them a little bit development then all of a sudden there's a central conflict it 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 occurs it pops up but i think in terms of marvel movies of late and i'm not speaking of things like iron man because i've never seen it i don't know about it i don't know about the first two thors um but of late from the marvel movies that we've seen like doctor strange in this one there's never a moment where it's like aha there's like the central conflict that's what that's what pops out to me like this is occurring and they're working up to it and there's going to be some climax of it there's i well, feel like they don't sit well within the central like p- rising actions storyline okay, so you being a writer i'll have you break this down yeah yeah break this down more because as i told you while watching this film the story seems this should not be a movie because it's literally jumping all constantly throughout the story jumping all over the place and not having like a certain rhythm to the story it's so, episodic is i think yeah, what you mean yeah, I, I, I mean i wouldn't say i wouldn't use episodic because it's not well it isn't it isn't i mean it's episodic because and i think part of it comes from the comic book nature of, of like telling of, a ch- like of, a chapter and then yeah. like jumping to something i mean that makes sense but but like so it's constantly throughout this film like it feels like the story like not the overall not the overarching plot which is to stop Ragnarok from happening the end of Asgard yeah that's the central plot but it seems like how they get there they're constantly jumping around and it doesn't feel like this is a two and a half hour movie it feels like this should be like a couple of like just like TV like a Netflix series like where they break it down so. Even though I think the plot of Thor versus what well, ends up being Thor versus his sister, the goddess of death, which is uh, Hela, Hela played by Kate Blanchett. Um, why is that not to you seem like that's the actual central plot line? Oh, in terms of like what? I mean, because because it is because it clearly like obviously the whole Surtur coming back to bring Ragnarok. That's background it's right like, it, it, it was set up in the beginning and then it doesn't come back towards the end because that's because to, that's like a device to, 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 yeah it's a, MacGu- would, a MacGu- essentially a MacGuffin. It, it's to, a deus ex machina yeah. really it really is because that's like it's almost like it's set up at the beginning and it's like this is the only way to finish this film that's, that's yeah. it that's the only thing that can possibly happen um but no i i, I see what you're saying so you're asking why does it feel like even though, like, really, the central conflict is Thor versus Hela, and 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 Hela versus basically all of Asgard because she wants to control Asgard and, and ca- the entire universe. Basically, she wants to take Con- over yeah. whatever she can using the Bifrost, which is their transportation system, like portal system to that they use the, to yeah. jump throughout the universe. Um, why doesn't it feel like that's the central conflict? And the, I would say, there's two things that really make that point really miss actually i should say miss the point of like hella versus thor one of them is just that like you said this film is very episodic in nature it's very all over the place in terms of like what's happening and um because a lot of the time also is not and sorry to interrupt but a lot of the time is not actually spent between thor and hella yeah there's there's um we have you know that's one of my one of my main points is that 
uh, Hela for the importance of her character and how much she's supposed to be a part of the development of the story. She's very, very rarely seen in this film. Um, Kate Blanchett gets very little time on screen comparatively because this is a two hour and 10 minute film. And I would say she probably gets like 15 minutes at most to be on screen doing her thing. So that really leaves very little time for um, Taika Waititi to give any sort of development behind her character. All we really know is what we're told. So we're told by Thor and by Odin, she's really strong, you know? And we kind of take that at face value. She's really strong. I mean, we see it a little bit because she can command like spikes from her will and that kill people and, and like draw things from the sea and stuff. But we don't really, I mean, there's nothing really that really cements that a lot of it too, is just exposition that we're given. Hella explains how Odin used to be. They used to be a team. Uh, her and Odin used to like just run rampant across the universe. They conquered, ca- conquering whatever and, and making, uh, Asgard into what it is today. But we don't really ever see anything like that. It's, it, it's all left to plot devices to really show, okay, this is Hela as a character. I think that Kate Blanchett does a, a pretty good job of working with that character. She has some good moments. She's Kate Blanchett. Yeah. As I told you, like when she, the way she's portraying her to me just comes off as just, just be Kate Blanchett. Right. Exactly. And I think she does some good moments with the script because the script does try to make her a dark character. I would almost in, in a weird way, she's reminiscent of Maleficent. Like, um, like, uh, her and, yeah, Maleficent, 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 I can't even say Angelina uh, Jolie's Maleficent. Her and Enchantress. Yeah. From Suicide Squad. And, and I don't know <laughs> if that's the, the right thing to do with Thor. I, I understand they wanted to make it a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit more comedic, but I don't think that big bads have to be comedic at, at all, really. Because that really takes the piss out of like, w- especially if they're what supposed, they're to, be supposed the go- to be doing. Supposed to be the goddess of death, right? Right. Because she, she has shouldn't so be many cra- moments. Shouldn't be cracking wise. She just be like, I'm here to bring death and do. You know, just show to it. I'm br- here to bring doom to you all. And like, maybe Thor cracks like a funny line. And she's like, I ain't having any of this shit. And like, yeah. Max, you know. I think that's one of the bigger um, missteps with Thor Ragnarok is that they don't give Hela enough time to just. To be the main antagonist. Because let's say like you watch the first hour and a half of this film. And then for whatever reason you had to leave. You had a massive diarrhea. You had to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You would almost think that the rest of the film had to do with the uh, different planet. Space gladiators. (laughs) That Thor finds himself on where there's a coliseum. He's got to fight the Hulk. You would think that the main idea is Thor gets off this planet and, like, maybe the next Thor movie is him conquer, you know, battling Hela. There's so much time spent that's on actually different- That's actually a good idea because, like, to be a little Englishy major like you, um, one of the things that's kind of weird is the way Thor kind of – his character builds throughout this. Like, he lose so in his initial conflict with Hela, he m- – his hammer, Mjolnir, is destroyed by her easily. Just she just pff, destroys it, and you know treats him like he's do- him and Loki like they're dog shit. They're mm-hmm. not even within the a class close to him. Right? How does he like? You know, like grow from that? 
It's just so he sees, you know, visions of Odin. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And so it's not like he really... And he regains his electricity powers, his, by, his by, sparks. Yeah, by, like, you know, like, because the idea is, like, he's supposed to, like, at the end, he's supposed to be, like, you know, finally figures out it's not Milnor that gives him the power. He has the power within himself. He just needs to know how to do it. But, they again, that's, that's like, just tacked on at the end because it's, like, he, as he's having that final fight with... Hella, and obviously in all these fights, you always had the protagonist struggle and, you know, get their ass kicked and have to have, like, some kind of revelation during the fight that makes them able, like, I can overcome this. Mm-hmm. You know. Plot, and, plot device 101. But, it, yeah. So, but, like, that, but and still. It's, and, and it's mostly in themselves. Yeah. But, so. <laughs> the ability's always there. So, the, the stuff that he's doing in between has, like, no bearing except, like, how do we get? It's back? really a means to an end. How, Real, how yeah. do we? How do we get back to Asgard? Essentially, after we like, like, well, they got they were in the Bifrost, and then Loki and Thor got you know thrown out of the Bifrost and onto this distant planet, and maybe, I, maybe we're breaking this down too I, much. Where people are probably like, just fucking go with it. But even, but no, even, I think, I think there are some, um. Interesting aspects to them going to this planet, to the trash planet. Um, and one of them is that I think it's one of the bigger uh, elements of Thor is that it, Thor becomes more of a buddy buddy uh, superhero film like Avengers, like, uh, like Captain America Civil War and Guardians of the Galaxy being one of the most prominent thematic elements that like really resonates here is is that Thor Ragnarok is almost going a Guardians of the Galaxy route and that they're making a like um a side group from the Avengers and that Thor's working with Hulk and Thor's working with this new woman um na- for the, she's a Valkyrie from from Asgard and they're they're forming another team and I think that's a little bit different from Thor's of like the first Thor films because he's more of a solo guy and he even has to form an alliance with loki although he doesn't really like to and loki constantly is you know causing mischief behind the scenes the final moments well he is the god of mischief he is the god of mischief the final moments really find loki and thor working together and i think that's an important aspect of thor ragnarok which is why we need the scenes where they go to the planet fight hulk become uh allies and and all that stuff if you know anything about the film so you know at Somehow, we're going to all know, like, oh, Loki just, you know, fucked him at the end of Ragnarok. Yeah, no, I I, I know, like, that's, and I agree with you in that the the whole trip like they, like, the like trash they, like, planet I was saying, is... Like, like, because, like, at the, when he goes into Odin's vault and he looks at the Tesseract cube, you know, and he, like, you know, like, touches it. Yeah. It's obviously going to come into play later, like, you know, because it's been, like, the MacGuffin they've been chasing, you know, he's been after, you know, for several films, but... Yeah. But you know, you know. Again, it's not a flaw. I only have, like. I'm not saying it's a bad thing because again, it's within his character. I'm fine with it. I just and I'm not saying the whole adventure on the trash planet is a bad thing because it's not. It's just the beats and the pace of this film and how they kind of get from point A to point B are just kind of like, it, huh? It it, it it does it doesn't flow like a film. It's it's t- the pacing and how they get to where they need to get is unconventional and I don't think yeah is necessarily fit for a film. 
I agree. I think a lot of it does just feel like random elements happening all at once. And I would argue that films are tending to go this way more often than not. Like just random things. Tarantinoing it? Just like. Yeah, random things just <laughs> happening to these people until they get to like the epiphany that they need. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. I don't think I, it's. I don't think it's a good thing. I tend to prefer that they don't go this because, like you're saying, I I totally understand. Like, the planet aspect of it, like them going there, just seems to be so unnecessarily random. A uh, perfect example: going to meet Doctor Strange. Fucking random as all hell. Not necessary, just so that he can direct them to where Odin is. It's but it make, but also it makes sense because if you've seen Doctor Strange and you know that he, you know he's the wizard, you know the Sorcerer Supreme, and and that you know he's trying now to after by the end of Doctor Strange now he's trying to keep a tab on all the you know otherworldly mystical beings that could harm yeah. Earth after what we learned from watching Doctor Strange. Only problem, I, so I'm fine with that. Like, so it's basically like, hey, don't forget, Doctor Strange is also going to come into play. Like, when we get to Infinity War and stuff. Yeah. I mean, so I'm fine with that. The problem I had was by the end of you know the whole process of Doctor Strange of him become as we when we reviewed Doctor Strange of Stephen Strange becoming Doctor Strange and it's getting figuring get, out all his, power. his magic. Powers. Yeah. Now, it, now it seems like no like no time has passed. Not he's literally he's like, like perfect. Perfectly yeah. mastered every Wizard. single thing. Yeah. Where at by the end of Doctor Strange, he was like. Competent, you know, like yeah, he was good. He was good, but like, did he really know how to do all this shit? No, no, no. But now, now, like you know, so I'm. We're assuming time is some time has passed. But I feel like I agree in in some ways that having the rest of the crew for the uh, you know the upcoming Infinity War is a good thing. However, I do feel like they strong arm Doctor Strange in here. Like it, it, it doesn't really feel organic to the plot. It just feels like, hey, we need Doctor Strange in here. Benedict Cumberbatch needs a paycheck. He's been requesting one. So <laughs> Sherlock's please, Sherlock's not getting yeah, made. So, so put him in it. You know, I, I don't know that it's it's not, like again. I'm not saying like I was really put off by it. And I think that the Doctor Strange scenes are actually pretty funny. Chris Hemsworth gets to showcase his like physical comedy a little bit. But at the same time, I feel like they were strong-armed in. Um, where, And that's in contrast to, like, Hulk, who is authentically here, and I think that they make it work for the best, although they did, re- like, reveal in trailers the most... One of the most surprising aspects of, like, who uh, Thor's supposed to fight in the Coliseum. They revealed that in the trailer. Probably not a great idea, but... Um, well, you're gonna see it anyway. So you, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like... I feel like some of those, like some of those aspects, are strong armed in, um, and I don't, I don't think that it, you know, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think that they could have done a little bit better job of making sure that they they did it in an organic way. Speaking of strong arming in, uh, what did you think about Carl Urban's character? Who, uh, poor dread. Yeah, I know, really. <laughs> um, I. So he plays Scourge, which is. Uh, like a guy who is just kind of around um, within Asgard, and he's well, kind of like show showing off to every everybody that he's you know he's there to be a been, la- lackey to right basically hella. I mean, I just feel like his his uh, whole character is really kind of unnecessary. It just 
I mean, I you wouldn't th- you wouldn't think the goddess of death needs like a lackey to pal around to be like you can be my executioner, right? Like, why wouldn't she just be an ex be her own executioner? Yeah, I, she enjoys I, killing people. I mean, I get that like that's part of her legacy, like that's how she started out. But I just feel like his character itself is just very like in terms of uh, like plotting. The first thing that you're thinking of is like, well, he's going to redeem himself. There's no like, there's never really a surprise that's like. Oh, Scourge is going to turn totally evil and just be, you know, go against all of Asgard just because. He's not really evil. He's just cowardly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I, there's always that redemption quality. There's never a question. And I think that they really wasted some time that they could have spent with Hela on Scourge as a character. It's just, even though I like seeing Carl Urban, even though I thought his mm. Texas joke was pretty funny. <laughs> uh,. <laughs> It still is. It just seems like he he's a waste of a like time. Basically, it's and everything's about time. Really, we're already we're talking about a two hour and ten minute film. Um, he's a waste of time. And bringing the the time frame up too, I would say that Thor Ragnarok is one of the Marvel films probably that I can think of from the recent uh future recent future recent time that I felt ran long. I felt like it was taking a long time for this film to get where it's going. And part of that is because of the trash planet. It just takes so long to get off of it. I'm like looking at my watch like, how the fuck are they going to resolve like Hela? Half, half the movie spent on. Yeah. How, how are they going to resolve like this central conflict of Hela when they're still on the goddamn trash planet? <laughs> now, there's one thing, good thing that comes out of trash planet. And that's Jeff Goldblum. It's not one good thing. Yeah, I mean, it's the the one, greatest one thing. of the best things about Thor Ragnarok. Jeff Goldblum playing the the Grand Master of the Trash Planet, also known as Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, basically, um, <laughs> the uh, I guess the the information coming out about Thor Ragnarok is that a lot some of the scenes, the the comedic scenes, were mostly improvised by the actors rather than you know, specifically scripted. And Jeff Goldblum's character really seems like that's a Goldblumian person. Like someone was like this if if this came out when we were doing Jeff Goldblum month. Yeah, it'd be a perfect fit. Oh yeah. Not cats and dogs right out of there and put it, this in. Because I mean the Grandmaster is not like it was Grandmaster and they were like Jeff Go you know Jeff Goldblum was uh, auditioned for it and they're like, yeah, you know what? Let's give Jeff Goldblum the part. It was basically Either that it was written for Jeff Goldblum, or it wasn't written at all, and Jeff Goldblum was just like, hey, "This is what I'm going to do," and they were like, "Yep, go for it," because this really is a gold the one of the Goldblumiest characters on the Goldblumian scale. What would you? I mean, how high would you rate this? Because it's pretty high. I would ten say ten out of ten. Yeah, it's, it's it's really high. It's like one of the most. He even gets in. He's like, "Wow, wow, I know, like, wow." I know, it's like, he should have been the mummy. He should have been Tom Cruise's, you know, character the, in the, the mummy. Because he's just this constantly, wow, jeez. Hey, I, like, when he was like, like, oh, what, what, what's your name? And uh, Chris Hemsworth, I'm Thor, God of Thunder. It's like, oh, Lord of Thunder, yeah. Ooh, hey, Sparkles, here, listen, listen. Hey. Like, stab And he's like a DJ play, like, 80 synth. <laughs> yeah, like, it's awesome, yeah. You know, ruler of the planet. And, it's great. I mean, and I think some of my favorite looks, moments. Oh. You know how you were saying how he looks like um, yeah, a band they, member from Empire of the Sun? Yeah. Um, he, you know what he looked like to me? Either Demolition Man, uh, like a citizen from Demolition Man. Yeah, and, yeah okay. And, and, yeah. Uh, 
New Los Angeles, or better yet, um, shit, now I'm drawing a goddamn play. The fucking Bruce Willis movie with Chris Rock and, um, The uh, Fifth Element? Yes! He looks like he should have been in The Fifth Element. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think some of my favorite parts from Jeff Goldblum, though. I can't believe I had a brain fart there. As, that really makes me <laughs> As the Grandmaster is when he's in hologram mode. Like the like giant hologram like, oh, mode across the city. Oh, look for my champion! Yeah, yeah he's, he's he's the most ridiculous then because it's like everybody has to take this guy seriously. Everybody is like, because he does. He has like this magic wand that turns people into goo, so you have to take him seriously. But at the same time, he's fucking hard to take seriously because he's being a DJ, playing like at a club. You know, like yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, all right, coming up next, guys. Uh, yeah, it's uh, one of my, uh, you know, uh, favorite uh, tunes. It's uh, Depeche Mode, and uh, uh, and after that, we'll hear uh, maybe a little, uh, you know, Crowded House. Uh, he- here's a go, guys. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. I I think Jeff Goldblum is one of the funniest parts. So I'm not saying that I don't like the Trash Planet. I like going to the Trash Planet. I think it has some good atmosphere to it. Um, obviously, you meet like the Valkyrie, so it's 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 important. Um, at the same time, I think they do spend too long on it, but not enough time is spent with Jeff Goldblum. So. There's always that. Yeah, no, he's absolutely. You he's, never, you never get enough Jeff Goldblum. Another great part from that is the whole fucking Willy Wonka scene. It's like finally. Oh, that's perfect. The, oh the my opening, God. the first part when where when he's, uh, Thor, Thor is, is getting getting mind fucked and like you know on the planet and he's sitting in the chair and they're parodying the fucking you know riverboat you know of chocolate scene from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, I mean not Charlie, Willy Wonka and but, the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Oh, so that's, great. That's and I was like, and I leaned over to him, and I was like, "Are they pl- are they playing pure imagination right now?" It would have been better if they played like Primus's version, like you know, like to like <laughs> to, yeah. to make it you know more uh, you pure know imagination psychedelic and like creepy and shit. But wow. no, that was that was all. It that is was a hilarious. good scene. It's probably one of the funny moments that like where Thor Ragnarok really hits as a comedy moment, um, because you were saying. You often found that Thor Ragnarok's comedy really missed for you. You you weren't really a fan of like the kind of because it's all about the dialogue. Really, it's all about the awkwardness, right? The the you get, it's it's got that Judd Apatow style like awkward comedy, like oh you know oh yeah oh yeah oh. yeah like the the uh, the. The- and it's not just this film that does like go- like you know the new Ghostbusters and like they like most like you know it's been the trend for like. 10, 15 years now. That So it's not the style I have so much a problem with. I just think some of the lines and how they're delivered and some of the things that, like, the characters do, like, in comedic situations, I don't... I don't really find funny. I didn't think there was, like, this is fucking stupid, but I wasn't... I wasn't really laughing. But that's where I said, too, I think that kind of has to deal with the environment we saw the film in because there's only two other people. I think if you saw this in a, the- a stacked house or like a half house right. and people are laughing, I'd probably be like, ah, yeah, that, you know, that's funny. But yeah. like, like when we saw Clerks 2, like, yep. that was like a, ha- you know, there's half tons of people laughing, you know, at the same jokes. So and- it's like, you know, like, like I said, I don't think it wasn't funny. I do think this film does, ha- does, I think this film does work as an action comedy. It is a funny film. I think though, because the jokes in this are really rapid fire, like just bam, 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 constantly going. Um, I think sometimes it misses more than it hits. But again, that's the that's when you're doing a comedy like this. Yeah, that's that's going to happen. And it's a preference too. Like like I liked uh, Taika uh, Taika with Waititi's uh, Korg. 
who's like the rock guy that's that's been imprisoned in the Coliseum. I thought he was really funny as sort of this wry character who yeah, just like, delivers things and it's like probably not the best time to say things. Yeah, no, that again, like that that's good too. I like I said like like I, sa- I said like one of the things like the like the opening scene with like him spinning around on a chain. It's like you can hear him, you know. Why are you saying, "Oh, hold on, let me wait." You can hear him. Well, you could have him threatening you with Ragnarok while you're spinning around. You're the god of thunder, not you're not deaf. You can hear, you know. Yeah. That like that to me like like kind of like it's like moments like because there's moments like that that's kind of stick out. I was like, I mean, that's not funny. Or like where like Kate Blanchett's like threatening like the army and they're like, oh, yeah, we'll we'll fight you. And she's like, did, did you not hear what I just said? Like that doesn't you know wasn't really funny. Mm. How how about um, Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk? What do, what do you think in Bruce Banner base? What do you think about him? He's just kind of like just like oh, I'm such a nerd. I think they're doing a weird what? thing with Bruce Banner. I know, like I know that's like you know his character that like you know he's the total opposite of the Hulk, but it almost seems like like one Mark Ruffalo is not a great character actor. What's you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. You, you, you would anyone ever say like, wow, you know, he really? I've always found him to be really wooden. I mean, I wouldn't say wooden just as much as like, like uh, sufficiently dramatic. Like I've never really seen him in like a a film such as like a comic book film. You would more, I more of my experiences with him are in more dramatic. Films, but even still, like in like I, 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 one of the performances from him that always sticks out for me is like in Shutter Island, and it's like he's definitely one of the flaws in Shutter Island is just him being like, okay, boss, whatever you say, boss. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I do, I enjoy him as as an actor. Um, I just think they're doing they're like going in a weird route with Bruce Banner in general. Like, I, I'm not a huge fan of like how they're creating his character outside of the Hulk. I would like, like, I mean, to me, it almost seemed like more they should have just gotten someone who's a frat pack member. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. So, like, Paul Rudd would be great for that. Right. Um, but he's doing Ant Man, so he can't yeah. do that. Like, so maybe if you had like Luke Wilson. Yeah. That'd be great. Like, wow, oh, wow, you know, or, or even Owen Wilson, or you know, like, um, somebody like that, like you know, like Steve Carell or somebody, you know, could probably do that. However, so, I do think they did a good job with making his likeness into the Hulk. Like making sure that the actual physical aspect of his face yeah, still no. looks like the Hulk, but also still looks like Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, no, I think, and I think as the Hulk, you know, when you see, you know, they got the CGI Hulk and all that. I think, I, I think I'm fine with that, and I think he's funny and it's good. But I mean, when he's just per- portraying Bruce Banner, it's like you probably should get somebody else. Like I said, like like I said, like just just imagine like Luke Wilson being like, "Wow, <laughs> I gotta fly this place." Jeez, you know, I don't yeah. know if I can do that. It's gonna make me kind of angry, you know. Yeah. Um. Hey, one thing that we normally bring up too, special effects. Um. Ugh. What did What did you think about the special effects in this one? Because there's a lot, really. I mean, I have to admit that I'm glad. That they got rid of Thor's hammer in this one. That's coming from me not seeing like Thor 1 and 2. But I felt like a lot of the scenes with Thor's hammer looked really, really, really cheesy. Especially in the opening. That yeah. fight scene was yeah. like... You, 
It's almost like shot. I don't know if this got released in 3D, but it's almost like shot. Like it's supposed to be like the hammer's coming at you, you know, and like yeah. I think those are the most cheesy. So I'm glad that Thor's hammer is not a focus of this film because I think, and for one thing, it, it does have to do with the character himself from the comics. Like this is fucking ridiculous. Like all the things that this hammer can do. It's outrageous. I know. I can. I spin it, and it lifts me up. Right, exactly. <laughs> but I also oh, don't oh, think. Oh, you you ride the hammer? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I also don't think that it looks that great with uh, with the CGI. No. Um. I mean, look. It, obviously, it's a Disney Marvel film. The production of this film is fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Top top of the line. Um. The CGI, though. I mean, obviously, in a film like this, it's going to be everywhere. Um, but I do think it's a detriment though, because it's, it's definitely hit or miss. The film looks like we're, it's like now this is the early nineties version of like Sega CD games where it's like FMV with like, uh, you know, com- you know, the CGI. I feel like that's like what we're getting with like, with movies now, especially like that have so much CGI involved. And it's like, that's not Kate Blanchett walking across that bridge. It's a CGI bridge. And she's just, like, on the set, it's just her walking, like, on a green screen and the green screen background. And it's like... There are definitely... It, like, it's like, it all looks nice. Some Like, some of the action scene stuff doesn't look good at all. Like, again, like, the opening fight sequence where he's fighting off all the little uh, searchers, like, demon buddies. And he's using, like, how they, like, use the hammer and that. It lo- looks bad. Um... But even still, like, when it does look good, it's like, it's like, all right, my eyes are straining from just staring at nothing but CGI. Yeah, and I think, like, some of the scenes themselves, like, that are really, really apparently green screen. Anytime Anthony Hopkins is in this is Odin in a flat, like, in a, when, when Thor has one of those sequences where he, like, sees him, and it's not really in reality, but it's more like in a spiritual way. Those are very clearly like CGI clouds behind him and and stuff like that. It, Couldn't be bothered to be brought to Norway. They had to fucking exactly like those <laughs> those scenes very much look like hey someone standing in front of a green screen and we're gonna put those clouds behind him. So I think that in some ways it looks good. In some ways, um, you can see like the flaws in it and and I don't know if you can get away with this really, but. Just like every other superhero movie we've had, there is that scene that happens in total darkness with fucking fire and brimstone all mm-hmm. over the place. Yeah, and, and all and all these films have like the same fucking end fight sequence. This one I actually get to see some daylight, so it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, you're actually fighting in daylight for a little bit. Yeah, I know, but I mean, but like when when Searcher comes in as the force of Ragnarok. It's fucking fire and brimstone again. It's everything is on fire. Everything is dark. It's all stormy. Um, and like some of those scenes is just hard to, hard to watch in terms of like seeing all the CGI and your, your brain kind of melts. It's an assault on the senses. Yeah, it is. It, it, especially that opening fight scene, that opening fight scene, I would say, is the worst offender of being an assault on the senses. And not only that, they got, you know, Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song playing, because, you know, we gotta make it as, like I told you, as, like, as stereotypical as possible, like. And. They should have had, like, after that, we, like, rise back to, like, fucking, um, 
when he arrives back in Asgard, like, let's play, hey, let's play some, like, Rolling Stones, give me some shelter now, like, you know, like, ooh, add the cool factor up, and... And a, bi- a big thing, too, is that there's just so much use of slow-mo. Slow-mo running and jumping at each other. Okay, we've seen that in superhero movies left and right. We can get rid of the slow-mo jumping. We know that they're going Mortal Kombat style against each other. Got it. We don't need a slow-mo jumping scene. That that kind of stuff, it wears on you. Because you're watching this for two hours. And seven slow-mo jump scenes later, you're like, okay, 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 got it. Bring it's back- fucking epic right now. We got it. It's supposed to be epic. Bring back Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> All right, but one thing we haven't touched on, which we definitely wanted to touch on, is the Mark Mothersbaugh soundtrack. Because, surprisingly, that is a standout part of Thor Ragnarok. You wouldn't think so. Superhero movie. It's got to have, like... A brooding soundtrack. Yeah, no, have well, a... no, because as we know from the previous, you know, like Guardians of the Galaxy, and like that's the direction they're going is, you know, to. Well, even Guardians of the Galaxy is more just like throwback rock hits. I know, but th- like... this, it's more synthy. But that's like part goofy. of the part of the as we've talked about. Like this, this has been like the renaissance this year for movies and like with soundtracks and like aesthetics and styles. Have been like a renaissance of like the neon eighties, whether it be Atomic Blonde or you know yeah. this, what have you. It's- this more so is like a more upbeat synthy version of what you would expect from Devo. You know what I mean? Like it's I know not- at, the, at the end, like Mark Mothersbaugh did, like did the soundtrack. I'm like you don't hear him. Like I knew it right. like right away. Like him dithering away on like the, like you know. It's like, yeah, well, that's how I would describe this is like Atomic Blonde, Depeche Mode, kind of depressed and dark. Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell, kind of Depeche Mode. Thor Ragnarok, uh, like Rugrats era Mark Brothers <laughs> bought. Like, like more upbeat. You're ex- expecting Thor to do like a flip and catch a bottle and you're like, do, 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 He doesn't have the boas, you know, like the boa, 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 boa. That's not in here from the synth, but there is a distinctive, like, like vaporwave style synth score to it that's reminiscent of the 70s for sure like the late 70s early 80s era of synth but also i would say that it has its own uniqueness to it that really doesn't fit in with the other marvel films like there is a uniqueness to the soundtrack that i think like mother boss mother's Bob brings out like with the Samurai Jack style end credits too. Yeah, like it's like, like Jack what? Kirby style, which is what I've seen referenced quite a bit. Jack Kirby artwork style. Well, is that what they were going yeah, for? Yeah, uh, it looked to me like Samurai Jack. Yeah, and and I totally see that, and I think in that regard they 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 did well with that because like no one needs another like very dark and gloomy, dingy, yeah, yeah like superhero movie. We're not looking for that. So I think really what Thor Ragnarok does is takes an example from James Gunn. From Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. It crafts a more of a buddy superhero film with more upbeat soundtrack and a more colorful environment. Because the trash the, planet is fairly colorful in its like more regal areas. It's, it's more like a star, like a Star Wars world you'd see. Yeah. Yep. With like its congestion and all that. It's like Coruscant if you know is the if 
Coruscant had a massive like meth and crack, you know, epidemic. Right. Um Yeah, I agree. I mean, or like a Mass Effect planet too. It's, right, yeah, 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 exactly. It's 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 very much and even like the poster arc is more influenced by Guardians of the Galaxy than something you might find in like the original Thors or Iron Man, which are much more gray and blue in color. This one's, you know, vibrant, luminescent rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't bad. I, I like I like it too. So let me ask you this, because we've we've tackled a lot of subjects here. Do you think that the positive reviews, which for the most part, the reviews for Thor Ragnarok have been overwhelmingly positive, do you think that they're wrong? No. But I have a hard time grasping with the fact that it's got like a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. Which I know that doesn't mean overall score. It means, uh, you know. The amount of positive reviews. reviews they've had. I, you know, find that. Cause that that's really fucking high. What I would think <laughs> I I'm not saying that I think that the positive like I'm I would myself give this a positive review. I'm not saying that I think that a higher score is wrong. I do think they're being somewhat lenient on Thor Ragnarok simply because of the changes that Taika Waititi made to the methodology that they use for Thor in terms of like, well, it's he's more likable. There's more comedy aspect to it. And it's more fun than what we've received so far. So obviously it's the better film. And I, but not like that, we've seen that from previous, it's not, this isn't the first Marvel film to be like that. Spider-Man homecoming, very comedic. And you know, I just Um, think they're going easier on this one because of the previous films in the series. You know, they're, they're comparing it. Hey, Thor 1 and 2, not very well liked. Thor 3, actually pretty good. So well, let's no, that, a, they weren't well liked. They were well liked. They just, like, but considered drab. I guess I would say the least liked. But, so I think that they're just being lenient on it. And I do think that they're not seeing some of the, or, or maybe just ignoring some of the bigger problems within the film itself. And I would, I would say, like, we have the same problems with Doctor Strange. Like I said... Uh, weird rising action to the conflict. Like it, it doesn't fit in with how you would normally see a structured movie plot. It's, it's very much like, let's throw a lot of exposition. And then all of a sudden you're just in the the conflict. It's, there's no real like moment, aha moment. I would call it where you're like, okay, this is the conflict. Mm -hmm. It kind of just happens. And I think that, you know, you would think sometimes it's great to be experimental as a movie and not really go by the the predefined rules of, like, what does a movie have to be? Um, at the same time, I would say that there's just no emotional impact there. It's it's kind of like the emotional flatlined. Imp- the emotional impact of this film will vary on how much you enjoy the comedy. Yeah. And I think that just, like, as a plot itself, it's very flatlined. It's very, like, I mean, it's always action-y. It's always fast moving, so you don't really have a chance to like see like, well, you know, we're in a lull, and then all of a sudden there's a spike, and that that often brings more of a like energy to the film than if you have like constant action, constant conflict happening at the same time. I would argue that you do need some of those downtime moments to really make those other areas pop, and I don't think that happens in this film, and that's part of my problem is that like there was never a moment where I was like, whoa. You know, like taken aback, or even surprised, or even you know pumped 
pumped for this moment. There, I would say that a, bit, a great example of that is the final fight scene between Thor and Hela. It kind of just happens. You kind of just go along with it. Yeah, but that's that's all these like again like it's so such a by the by the numbers end fight, and and it's and that's one of the things you don't want to be by the numbers is because all these films have the same like ending fight sequence like protagonist struggles in the, in the fight again you know villain has the upper hand what do they do they come to some epiphany you know and are able then to overcome it's like you're like. Watching the Matrix over and over again. Neil, God, he just can't beat Agent Smith. God damn it! And then you know he has his epiphany and is—he is the one. And he's able to do it, and you know. Yeah, I mean, I think even in that formula, there's room to surprise. But I would say that Thor Ragnarok does not. It 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 is just very much the same sort of sequence that you would see in any of the Marvel films, and 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 really. Even like Doctor Strange had a little bit more going for it because it had that psychedelic nature to it where the the reality of the situation constantly shifted. You had magic happening. You had weird spatial patterns Illusion, that were happening. Yeah, illusions and things like that. Whereas Thor Ragnarok is really like a by the numbers like here's a fight scene. Thor learns to do a special move that he never – like he wasn't able to do before and then – that's pretty much it. And then there's a deus ex machina to end the whole thing. So, I, but I, I, I guess to answer my, my question that I posed, I would say that I just think that, you know, Thor Ragnarok is not a bad film. I, I would say that it's very, like, in line with the recent uh, films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe besides Spider-Man, which kind of is above, I would say, is one of the better Marvel Universe films that has come out recently. Uh, but I would say that like there's nothing about this that really blows me away that would really make me put Thor Ragnarok in high esteem. Like comparison to Doctor Strange, I would say that they're very much equal. Like there's – I think I gave <laughs> like you know Doctor Strange a seven and a half or seven or something like that. And I think that on the scale of things, like that's where Thor Ragnarok winds so, up too. So out of ten – 10 Jeff Goldblum DJ parties. <laughs> what would you give Thor Ragnarok? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would have to say I would probably give it... Um, seven and a half, I would say. I would give it a seven and a half. Um, and part of that is just because I did think that some of the humor did align with like my preferences. Like I did like Taika Waititi's Korg. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and I think that... Um, Jeff Goldblum, I love. So the the Grandmaster really works for me. And even I think Kate Blanchett had some good deliveries as Hella, even though I don't really like that as a character design for that antagonist. And even Tom Hiddleston, too, I think kind of is underrated as Loki. And I think he does a pretty good job with that, too, as being like the the mischief maker in the whole thing. I think he does a good job. Even Chris Hemsworth really managing to pull out a lot of comedy here when Thor's not really known for his personality. So I thought that was good. I like that they got rid of the hammer. I would much rather see Thor without a weapon that looks terrible in CGI than, than actually have it. And um, biggest concern was just the lack of conflict 
like that actually amounted to anything that kind of just flatlines throughout the film. So, yeah, seven and a half. Um, I would get despite um my misgivings, I would give it a seven and a half too. Um, I think. You're right. Like, if I had to compare it, like, on the scale of, like, other uh, Marvel films, it's not my favorite. I still think, like, I'd probably say, like, I can't remember why I gave Doctor Strange, but I feel like I'd be on the same level. Um, I still think the first Avengers and the new Spider-Man are probably my two favorite. Um, I do think Chris Hemsworth is good in this. I do think he does have some good comedic lines, and he does a good job at it, like... And it doesn't come off as, you know, forced, like watching Chris Pine and uh, Wonder Woman, you know, just being essentially fucking Chris Pine. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, your your mileage will vary on that. Um, I thought Jeff Goldblum was absolutely terrific and a delight in this, as he always is in everything he ever does. He literally is the best thing in this movie. He's just got he's such a, like, again, like, because... It's like the cult of Bill Murray. He's got that like cult of personality now, right. where like he can do these kinds of things, and it's just absolutely great. Um, I do think it's a w- slight waste to Carl Urban in this. Man can do so much more. Yeah, um, but he he is what little time he has, he's good. And Benedict Cumberbatch, I did like. We didn't really talk about Tessa Thompson as the Valkyrie, but she's literally just kind of there to set up like. Yeah, I mean, uh, contact that Thor would know, you know, on the garbage world. That I can't remember the name of the planet. I honestly don't remember it either. Um, but you know, she's lit. It's like to me, like she's not really. She yeah, she's she's, she's, just, uh, she's just, just, there, just there, you know. And uh, I don't know if they're trying to make her into a potential love interest, love interest for Thor. But it seems like it from from what we get from the, you know, vibes. from the ending and the yeah. vibes and everything like that. I mean, I think it's good and for buddy comedy, and even they they kind of have a a little um, friendship between her and the Hulk mm-hmm. when he's in Hulk form. So it's kind of a fun throwback. But yeah, I mean, I, I I just think she's kind of there, and I don't really like that. Like they try to make a strong female character, but obviously every strong female character has to initially be a bitch. So you know, it's it's kind of like very Hulk. generic. Mm-hmm, the whole Sundari thing, you know. Yep. Animate. But I mean, so overall, I thought the cast is pretty good. Um, the story, though, you know, very. Oh, that's true. Right too. I I feel bad for Idris Elba, who really gets like nothing to do in this film besides being. Why does he get such a top billing? He literally does he's nothing. Idris Elba. I know, but he does nothing. He's I mean, just... I just feel bad for him because he really just gets nothing to do besides be like the man on the ground. We didn't know, even talk there. about him because he doesn't do anything. No, you're absolutely right. Well, we didn't really talk about Anthony Hopkins that much either. Yeah, also know. kind of relegated to... He's just, you know, they're like, kind of like, all right, you know, and that's it. Yeah. But, oh, I mean, overall, I'd say, like, you know, casting-wise, I thought, you know, it was pretty good. Um, the story, fine with, um, though I think the way they, as we talked about, the whole plotting and pacing of things is very helter-skelter all over the place and doesn't really build in a coherent way, though it's made up for the fact that the comedy and the action that does take place in the film is entertaining, easy to digest, and fun to watch. Though I said some of the comedy in this doesn't work for me. Again, it's not that I don't think it's a fun film, 
I do think it is funny. I do think it has some fun moments. I think, though, just it, the fact that it has so much of it, though, it's going to run the risk of your mileage is going to vary on the humor in this film, on who you're watching it with, and whether or not you're going to like a joke you know, every minute just being hit on you. Because just like the action, they do the same thing with the comedic pace of this thing. It's at a breakneck pace. Right. So if some of them are going to land and some of them aren't going to. Um, I love the soundtrack. Always love Mark Mothersbaugh's, you know, music, and especially now with the neon eighties becoming, you know, bring being brought back. It's some, you know, in the whole synth pop and synth new wave, all for it. I think it's a good, enjoyable film building up to what they're going to. It make, does make me finally want to see the the Thors that I haven't seen. Um, I think it's a very solid film. I don't think it's a great film. Far from it. But I still think it's a, you know it definitely deserves the positive reviews it's getting. But yeah, I don't you know I don't think it's like if you've never seen a Marvel film, I don't think if you watch this one like is your first one, you're gonna be left like wow, I gotta see everything. You're gonna, yeah, probably yeah. gonna be like this is good. I'll check out you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's I don't know if you would be like blown away. Like, am I psyched now for like new Black Panther after seeing this? Because that's the next one coming. Mm-hmm. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to see it, but it's, you know, it's it doesn't make me like I can't wait to see you know the Black Panther's origin story. No, you know, it's like yeah. We'll see what that leads to. Yeah. All right. Um, what do we got up on tap for next week? Hmm. It's a good question because we're kind of left open here. Um, we've got next week to fill, and then the week after that is Justice League. Justice League. Um, so if the Justice League comes out, actually, I have a movie for next week. Thanks, Killing. <laughs> Terrible movie, and one that should be really fun to cover. And it's it's perfect because we're not going to have time to do a Thanksgiving movie with Justice League coming out. Well, there's only one Thanksgiving movie, so it doesn't matter. Which one is that? Planes, trains, and automobiles. No, there's two, actually. The (laughs) other John Hughes vehicle, Dutch. (laughs) If you've never seen it, check it out. Ed O'Neill's in it. I just wrote an article about it for Cultsploitation. Check it out. Yeah, I've never seen Dutch. I know it's on Netflix. You gotta watch it. We watch it every year. We watch Dutch and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles every year. By the way, this is something I wanted to bring up, because Planes, Trains, and Automobiles has an R rating just because that one F-bomb. This Ragnarok... Disney's paying the MPAA to get a PG-13 for this. Yeah. There's like 20 shits in this. It's violent. Not gory, but there's a lot of violence and killing in this movie. There's an impaling. Thor loses an eye. A lot of cursing. Yeah. PG-13. Surprising. If I'm telling you, if this wasn't a... I don't a, think shits get, a, get an R, though. You gotta use one F-bomb to, if I think to you, get if there. You, if you use Actually, enough, you get two. You, you you can use one f bomb. The second one, I think, puts you to an R. That's stupid. I think those are the arbitrary the, r- rules. The, the, oh, see, this is this is why. Like, you, you get you do get one f bomb. You can put that like in the most like. Yeah, but that's what planes, trains, and automobiles has the one f bomb. It's R rated film. I don't know. I mean, great. I was back. No, in no, 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 no. There's more than one because he says something like, "You took take your fucking shit and." Fucking get! He says it like four times in that one line, so that's where it comes from. 
doesn't matter. But does that like affect? Like to me, that's like again. Like I mean, this is why the whole fucking you know rating system is totally arbitrary and stupid. But I mean, it's like you know. I don't know. I that's, just found, that's where it comes from. I know. Right? I just found it in, interesting, though, because that because that in the I can't remember the documentary name, but that I talked about, like the MPAA before on here. Yeah, that's one of the things they bring up about how like that film pro- should not have gotten an R. There's nothing about that film that warrants an R except that one scene. Yeah, where the, where, yeah. where you know mm-hmm. Steve Martin goes off the handle, and that's what gave it an R. And it's like, wow, that's so arbitrary. Like. Yeah. And I think, like, the rating for this is, like, pretty arbitrary. I mean, do I think this deserves an R? No. No. But just, like, from watching previous films that have gotten an R, I could see how this film should have gotten an R. Right. With this curse. I mean, like I said, the killing and it's not gory or anything, but you're still, people are getting maimed, impaled, slaughtered. You see a whole army get slaughtered. Oh, well, they're not human. They're Asgardians, so yeah. fuck them, doesn't count. That's that's what we call cartoon mischief on the video game labels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for your Mario games. E for everyone, but five and up. Why? Because cartoon mischief. Oh, well. So next week, we're going to do Thanks to Killing. Oh, God. It's going to be ridiculous. This better not be, like, be terrible. Mako, better not be Mako bad. It's going to be terrible, but we're going to do it. It's going to be... We'll see what you think. Because <laughs> I've seen it, but you haven't, so... We'll see. Is this uh by Eli Roth or no, no, no? Nope. He just did the Thanksgiving, trailer. right? Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is something entirely different about a killer turkey. Can we, can we do a rubber after that, <laughs> or poultry geist? Really, the thing? Yeah, poultry geist trauma film. Yeah. All right, so uh, hopefully we'll see you next week for Thanksgiving, and thanks for tuning in for our Thor Ragnarok coverage. You'll be. Stuffed with information. Ah, yeah. I see what you did. Yeah. Uh, so you can check us out on iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcast app. Make sure you leave a review and subscribe to us. Uh, we're also available on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, we have a website, bloodandblackrumpodcast.wordpress.com. We're also available on coltsploitation.com because that's our podcast network. And if you're interested in joining, please let us know. And if you want to suggest any uh, films to cover or if you want to just leave us a nice little comment, you can email us at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com and we will respond to everything. Also, if you're interested in donating and helping keep the podcast running, you can visit us at patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast and leave us a donation. Remember, that's a monthly donation, so if you are donating a lot of money at once just remember that comes out of your account every month so don't overdo it i guess i would say uh thank you for listening we will be back next week with thanks killing and our i think it's our 94th episode next week so we're we're nearing 100 episodes it's gonna be coming up quick around christmas yeah that's right uh so hopefully you'll stick around as we make it to the three digits of podcasting. See you next time. Take care.